Well, welcome to The Crossing. How you doing today? Good. I can tell by one thing, you did not win the lottery. You wouldn't be here, but this week, $1.3 billion. So maybe you still have a shot at it this week. Well, we're so glad that you're here. Last week, we started a brand new series called You Asked For It. Over the past couple months, we've been circulating a survey, and we asked this question. If you could ask God anything, what would that be? If you've ever wondered, what does the Bible teach about blank, what would that be? Well, we received about 1,000 responses from you, and we are counting these down from number five all the way down to number one. And so today is the number four most requested question here at The Crossing. And to be honest with you, this is the question that really surprised me that it made it on the list. And it surprised me that it was the number four most requested question. I wasn't surprised by last week's question. Last week's question is, what about those who never hear about Jesus? All of us have those thoughts. We've all wondered, what about those people who are in some remote village in Africa? What happens to them? If you weren't here last week, you can catch that online and catch up. And I'm not surprised at the next few weeks of what we're going to be tackling. Those are the things that I thought would probably be towards the top. And I'm not going to tell you what they are. I mean, you have to be here. People keep asking me, okay, Shane, what made the top of the list? I'm like, well, I can't tell you. I mean, you can just tell me. Now, I can't tell you. You're going to have to be here. But this question, this question caught me off guard. Because the fourth most requested question that you asked is, is suicide the unforgivable sin? I'll bet 99.9% of you have never heard a message on this subject before. I know I've never taught on it before. But maybe it shouldn't surprise me because we rarely talk about it, yet we're, we've been touched by so many people in one way or another. As a pastor, I have dealt with this so many times from people who have thought about committing suicide to those who have. When I first moved here to Las Vegas, 20-some years ago, I was in staff at Canyon Ridge, and I responded to an emergency call, and I went to this guy's house, and I spent the next hour in his house trying to talk him into giving me the gun that was in his hand that he was going to use to end his life. It was one of those crazy places I couldn't even figure out how I got there, but I wish I could tell you that was the only time, but those have happened time after time after time, and then the tragedy when somebody does take their life. If you've ever been to the funeral of someone who committed suicide, you will never forget it. The death of someone that you love is difficult enough to grieve, but when, but when it's by suicide, the complications of grief are multiplied by a hundred. It's complicated because almost all of us have a fear of even mentioning the word suicide. We don't even know if we should say that word. It's complicated because the family members left behind, they struggle with the shame of how their loved one took their life, and they struggle with the guilt of what they could have done. It's complicated because there's all of the faith issues. What happens to the person who commits suicide? My guess is that most everyone in here has been affected either directly or indirectly by suicide. Well, here's the facts that can't be ignored. Every 17 seconds, someone in the U.S. commits suicide. In the last 10 years, the suicide rate among 35 to 64-year-olds has risen by nearly 30%. The biggest increase is by men who are in their 50s. That has increased by 50%. 
more Americans now die by suicide than by car accidents. Take that in. It's astounding. I remember a couple years ago when Robin Williams took his life, and it just hit me at a deep emotional level. Because you just don't think of it with somebody like that. And I think for a lot of you, when Robin Williams took his life, there was this sense of shock and this sadness because he was such, this, such a great talent that moved us and made us laugh. And so we just had this idea that his life must be great, that everything must be perfect in his life. And it's just this great reminder to us that you never know the burdens, the pains, the hurts, the darkness that someone is carrying on the inside. Suicide is all around us, but we seldom talk about this stuff. And I'll tell you something else we don't talk about very much. I'll bet there, if there is a way of knowing how many of us in this room have ever entertained, even briefly, the thought of ending our life, I'll bet the number would be staggering. This may surprise you, but some of the greatest individuals in the Bible struggled with suicidal thoughts. In 1 Kings we find Elijah, who is this, this great prophet of God, and he's battling depression. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, it says, He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I mean, this is Elijah. This is one of the, the heroes of the Bible when Jesus had his transfiguration. And there was a few of the disciples there. There was two Bible characters who were there also. It was Elijah and Moses. And you want to know who else asked God to take his life? It was Moses and Jonah as well. That we are all susceptible. There's actually seven instances of suicide in the Bible. But that's probably no comfort to some of you who have lost someone that you love in your life who has taken their life. Almost always suicide is the result of a deep depression where they get depressed and something happens. See, we all get depressed. All of us get depressed. We have these blue Mondays. If you're a Cowboys fan, you have a lot of blue Mondays. And the good news for you is you're on vacation. The season's over for you, so you can be happy for the next year. But suicidal depression is different. It's different. And often, mental illness is a factor as well. And when you mix in depression with abuse of alcohol and drugs, it can become this lethal combination. Yet the Bible says this. Psalm 46, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. See, God is not just our strength in the past. And God is not just our strength in the future, but God is our present strength right now in this moment. But so often a person who contemplates taking their lives just cannot see it at the time. They just can't believe that there's hope for them and that God could help them. So is suicide the unforgivable sin? Now there's actually a question behind this question. And the question behind this question is, is my loved one in hell because they committed suicide? Many of us have, have carried this notion that suicide is an unforgivable sin for a long time. Maybe it's just what you always thought. Maybe it was your religious background, whatever. There, there's actually seven suicides that are mentioned in the Bible, and not one of them 
Not one of them. Is there a comment that's made about the suicide after it occurs? And nothing is said about their eternal destination. So let's deal with this question in two steps. Number one, is suicide a sin? And then, is it unforgivable? Now, I don't want to minimize this because my understanding of Scripture is suicide is a serious sin. It violates the seventh commandment, you shall not kill. You shall not take innocent life. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, your body does not belong to you. It belongs to God. God paid a price for you. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid a price for you. And suicide is a sin because you're playing God. The Bible says that God gives life and God takes it away. But when I take my life into my own hands, I'm playing God. And I'm violating the first commandment that says there should be no other gods before me. Clearly, suicide is a sin. And like all sin, it breaks the heart of God. But is it the unforgivable sin? The belief that suicide is the unforgivable sin actually grew out of the teachings of a guy by the name of Augustine centuries ago. And then it was reinforced by a Catholic named Thomas Aquinas who believed that confession of sin must be made before you die so that he taught suicide was the most fatal of sins because the victim could not repent of it. I even know of churches who will not host the funerals of someone who has committed a suicide. And in years past, when you buried your loved ones on the property of the church, there was churches who would not allow somebody to be buried on their property who had committed suicide. Not only do I think that is incredibly damaging, but it is unbiblical and does not reflect the heart of God. Listen, you have never committed a sin. None of your loved ones who have accepted the grace of Jesus Christ have ever committed a sin that God cannot forgive. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. It's this idea that we begin to see grace through God's eyes. And here's what he says beginning in verse 8. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace, not by works. We're saved by grace, not by works. Now, let me just stop here for a minute because I think there's a lot of us here who do not have a a biblical understanding of what grace is all about. If this right here is the line of salvation, that when you surrendered your life to Jesus and when you were baptized, you entered this relationship with God. And these are exciting days because you begin to grow in your faith with Jesus. You begin to come to church and you're in a small group and you're reading your Bible and you're praying and God is doing some amazing things in your life. And then you have that first major sin where you fall back into that habit that you had before and you fall down here. And you just feel bad about it. You have this guilt. Maybe you talk to a pastor and you ask for forgiveness and you come back here. And then you have this season where you're growing again and you grow and grow. And then you go on spring break. You fall down here and you just stay here for a while right here because you're on spring break. 
And then you come back and you have these moments that are good and bad and good and bad. And that's our view of grace. That's our view of salvation. It's interesting because the sixth most requested question is, how can I know whether I'm saved or not? This right here is works. This is not grace. Let me show you what grace looks like. If this right here is the line of salvation, that when you surrendered your life to Jesus and you were baptized, you started a relationship with God. And you were growing in your relationship with God. And maybe it is that sin that has always got you down. And it takes you here. But you are still saved. You're still in a saved relationship with God. You're not as close to God as you once were. But you're in a saved relationship. And you, you repent and you begin to put your life back on the right path. And maybe some of you had a season of your life that looked like this. Maybe it's what brought you back to the crossing. Maybe you had just walked away from God for a long time. But you eventually decided, you know what, I want to get back with God again. And then you begin to start your relationship with God. That this is what grace looks like. And the only time, and I'm going to just give you my, my opinion right here. This is just my opinion. Other people at this church have a different opinion. This is my opinion. My opinion is the only time at this point that you can fall below this line right here is when you choose to make a conscious decision to reject God and to never come back to God. I had a professor who said, if you've ever worried that you lost your salvation, then you haven't. Because the mere fact that you're worried about it shows that you have a heart that wants to be right with God. Listen, we are saved by grace, not by works. And for a believer who's received that grace... Even though they've gotten confused and committed the sin of suicide, I don't know how you could say that they've committed an unforgivable sin. It would be the same as if that person sinned and then died in a car accident before they had an opportunity to ask for forgiveness. That we're not saved because we ask forgiveness for every sin that we commit. We're saved because we put our faith in Jesus. I want you to look at this scripture in Titus chapter, two, chapter 3, and I want us to say this out loud together. So say this with me. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. That we are not saved because of the righteous things that we do. We're not saved because we have it all together. We're saved because of God's mercy on us. We're saved because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but what about those who commit suicide? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, we are, we're not saved because of our faithfulness. We are saved because of God's faithfulness. Grace is either sufficient for all of us or it's not. Jesus either died for all of our sins or none of them. We are saved by grace, not by works. Suicide is never God's will for someone's life because God values life. But the Bible is very clear about those who go to heaven. It's those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus died for all of your sins, even if your last act is a sin. 
Suicide is a serious sin. But because of the cross and the empty tomb for a believer, it is not unforgivable. So how do we respond? How do we respond to all this? I want to talk to three groups of people who are here this morning. First group I want to talk to are those of you who have thoughts of taking your life. Second group I want to talk to are those of you who have lost someone that you love to suicide. Third group is I want to talk to those of us who call the crossing home. And what is our response to be the hands and feet of Jesus? How do we come alongside the people and help them carry their pain through this? First, for those of you who are experiencing bouts of depression or feelings of hopelessness, and maybe you're thinking about taking your life, A few years ago, we had a guy who came to the service, and after the service, he came up and he handed us a bullet. And he said, I was going to use this bullet after this service to take my life. But I know that God has something better for me. We We hear that story over and over of people who walk through these doors as their last act of hope before planning to end it all, and God met them here. Every Sunday when I get up here, I know that somebody, there's going to be somebody in this room who is at the end of their rope and wonders if it is, if it is even worth it. Well, if that is you, I want to speak to you right now. I want to speak to you that suicide is never God's will for your life. It is never God's plan for your life. The pain of suicide causes unimaginable pain to everyone else in your life. And as hopeless as you feel, suicide is not the answer. You are not alone. And my encouragement to you is get the help that you need because there is help. There is help in the medical community and there is help in the psychological community. And here at the crossing, we can help point you to people who can bring breathe life back into you that there is help. The darkest times in my life When life just seemed hopeless for me, I prayed the same prayer that Elijah has prayed. God, just take my life because I just, I don't want to go on. I've prayed that prayer. It was temporary. And what you are feeling will pass. And I don't say that to minimize your pain. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. That God will bring hope back into your life. Get help because it is treatable. The Bible says that God loves you with an everlasting love. God loves you with an everlasting love. Second is I want to talk to those of you who have lost someone to suicide. Rick and Kay Warren have literally helped millions of people. Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, has sold 30 million copies. It is the best-selling hardback book of all times in history. And two years ago, Rick and, Rick and Kay experienced the most unimaginable tragedy in their life when their 27-year-old son, Matthew, took his life. And to grieve a loss like that is hard enough, but to do it in the public eye, to do it as the whole world is watching is even tougher. And Rick talked about how he walked through that season and how he noticed six discernible stages of loss. That if you've lost someone to suicide, these will be helpful for you. But this isn't just for suicide. 
If you're going through any kind of loss, this will help you to get through whatever you're going through, for you to identify where you are and what the next step is for you and what God has for you. That you may not go through these in this order, but you will go through all of these. Rick says that the first stage is shock. It's shock. Your world is turned upside down. And when you lose your job, you're in shock. When a loved one dies, you're in shock. He said that he was in shock for a month, that he was numb, didn't even know what to do. When someone takes their life, your world is turned upside down. And during this period, when you're in this period, do not make any decisions about your life. This is not the moment to make a decision about your life. The second stage is sorrow. You begin to grieve. You begin to to grieve that loss and that emotion. See, sorrow is a godly emotion. Shock is a purely human emotion. God is never shocked. But sorrow is a godly emotion. The reason that you grieve is because you were made in the image of God. That Jesus wept. Isaiah tells us that Jesus was a man acquainted with sorrows. And during this season, embrace the sorrow. Feel the feelings. Let the tears flow. That that numbness that you put into your life, it's time to to step out of that numbness and begin to embrace the sorrow. Give yourself permission to grieve deeply. That there seems to be some kind of misguided thinking in Christian circles where it is super spiritual to act like that everything is fine in your life, that it hasn't really affected you. So when somebody comes up to you and says, how you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. Well, I don't know where that comes from, but it doesn't come from the Bible. In Psalm 34, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The third stage is struggle. This is where you begin to ask the why questions. And you're not going to get the answers to the why. But it's okay to ask them. Even Jesus asked us on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is no explanation in the world that will satisfy your questions. There is not an answer to these questions. See, when something happens to us, we want an explanation. God, why did I lose my job? Why did they leave me? Why did they die? Why did this happen to me? And you don't need an explanation. You need God. You need God, and the test of faith is what you do when you don't get your questions answered, when you don't get the answers that you want. Here's the fourth stage. It's surrender. You stop asking, and you start submitting. Surrender is the only path to peace. Rick Warren said in his journal through those months, this is what he wrote. He says, I would rather walk with God with none of my questions answered than to walk through life without him and know all the answers. The surrender is finally giving control over to God, that you submit all of this to God, and that's when peace begins to happen. The fifth stage is sanctification. Now, don't let that word scare you. I know that that's a churchy word. Don't let that scare you. It just means to be set apart, that God begins to set us apart. This is where God begins to bring the good out of the bad, when God starts making changes in you. 
See, this is part of God's promise to you if you're a believer in Christ. That in all things, God works for the good. This doesn't mean that all things are good. It means that God works all things for the good. He begins to bring the good out of the bad. And this is where your character is transformed. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 that when we begin to allow the Holy Spirit's fruit to work in us, then what the, the evidence of that, it's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That is the stage where God brings the good out of the bad. And here's this last stage. It's service. That God wants to take your greatest pain and turn it into your life message. God wants to take your mess and turn it into your message. God wants to take the thing that you're most embarrassed of, most ashamed of, and most regret and use it in the lives of others. Who better can help someone with an addiction than someone who has gone through an addiction? The very thing that you want to least talk about is the thing that God wants to use as your ministry. That's the power of God. That's the power of God in our lives is to take your mess and make it your ministry. That's what God has called us to do. So how do we respond as a church? How do we respond as a church to people who not only are struggling in their life with those thoughts, but those who have lost somebody? That we have to be the place of hope and healing. That we have to be the place when people walk through these doors, that they find a place of hope, that God loves them just the way they are, and that this would be a place of healing, that somebody who has lost, somebody who has taken their life or had any kind of wounds, that we would be this healing center. And for you, it means that you have to invest your life. You have to begin to invest in people who are around you, who are hurting, and invite them to a relationship with with God that only God can do. We shouldn't take people and try to rush them through. We walk with them at their pace. The world is full of broken hearts and broken bodies and broken minds. And we're going to do everything we can to help those people. Our motivation is love. It's love for God and it's love for the people that he created. Our perspective on these things always shifts when they become personal. Holly Chamberlain and her son Mason attended the crossing. And a couple years ago, she experienced the most unimaginable loss that any parent can imagine. But today, God is using her story to impact kids all over the country. I want you to hear her story. My story is the one no parent ever wants to hear. It's the story of surviving suicide loss, and it began on June 3, 2013, when my 14-year-old son ended his own life. With one snap decision, he shattered every illusion I'd ever held about forever. In the blink of an eye, in a moment that was too big for him to handle, 
In a situation where solutions didn't seem to be within reach, Mason committed suicide. Within minutes, Mason was gone. My beautiful, bright boy, just gone. It was unimaginable. I remember getting the call from the hospital and falling onto the concrete ground, frozen, unable to move, paralyzed by shock. Hello, Holly. My name is Dr. Jason Jones. Um, I need to speak with you regarding Mason Chamberlain, who I believe is your son. Not my boy. Not my kid. Not this. How could this happen? The ripple effect of this snap decision reached across the world. Everyone was stunned. Every heart broken. Every mind scrambling to figure out why, how. Everyone blaming themselves. Especially me. In churches, we talk a lot about life after death. And in the time since that day, I have had to learn a different version of life after death. Holly, we've known each other for a long time under lots of different circumstances. And I just want to thank you for your courage and your bravery and your transparency. Because I know as a parent and probably moms especially and parents throughout the room as we watch that. And even as I watched it leading up to today, my thoughts went immediately to walking in your shoes. So you said life after death. How much is that a reality? And you said your perspective has completely shifted since that day in June a few years ago. Right. So, so some people are here um, that are friends of mine and, and know me. And before Mason left, I was the, the woman who was posting on social media, uh, little moments and big moments, but always with a hashtag, I love my life. And I truly did love my life. And, uh, you know, we were happy, and I was proud of what I had built. You know, I, I didn't, growing up wasn't easy, and I had my hurdles, but I thought I'd overcome that, and I thought that the life that I built was amazing. And, and on June 3rd, that all shattered, and, and now I'm the one that's posting about making a choice to live, because every single day, as I shared with you, yeah. Every single day I want to die. When you say that, you drive around and there's this perspective shift that was a little shocking to me, but it makes sense as I heard you tell. Tell them about that shift that you've made and that perspective that hits you as you drive around and experience life. Right. So, you know, you see, you see the car accidents on the road or, you know, you, you see an event and you know that, that somebody might not make it home that night or you watch the news at night and you hear about a tragedy. And I think you know, God, why can't that be me? Why can't I volunteer to take their place? Because I don't want to be here. You know, I don't love my life anymore. And I, uh, I would volunteer as tribute, as they say in the Hunger Games, right? Um, but that, that's the story now. That's the journey every single day to not want to be here. How, how I'm making it is, is by making that choice. You know, will you live today? Will you get up and shower today? Will you go and function today? Well, and you're doing another thing, and Shane talked a lot about that, that idea of, of hope in Christ, and you've taken that hope, and not only is it healing, can't change, but healing, but you're using that to hopefully save other lives. Tell us a little bit about this amazing 
project that you felt inspired in the midst of your situation to start? So what I learned, um, you know, for those of you who knew my son or, or saw the pictures, uh, you know, he was amazing and, and he didn't struggle with depression and he wasn't bullied, which are two of the things that we're conditioned or sort of trained to believe that only the only people that commit suicide have experienced those two things. And what Mason taught me on June 3rd is that that is not always the case. Sometimes people make a snap decision um, just like that and they're gone. And what, what I did as a result of that is I started a, the Amazing Grace Project um, to, to redefine who's at risk for self-harm and suicide. And so, I, so what you go in, now you're going into schools, yes. and you're, you have one important principle that I know we don't have time to completely unpack, but tell, repeat that principle because it's powerful and it's appropriate for today. So, so if I could talk to Mason right now, you know, that one principle that I would tell him is that this moment that you're in that feels so big is going to pass and you know the we experience highs and lows in life and sometimes you know that common thread of humanity is that you know sometimes we feel so alone we feel like there is no help and what i would say you know to him and, and to to anybody in this room listening is that the moment that you're in is going to pass and a new moment is coming so as we wrap up you're looking out at hundreds of people here today especially there's teenagers, parents in the room, what would you say to them as they leave the room that when you talk about getting in front of that moment, mm -hmm. just briefly tell them how, to, how do they get in front of the moment, you know, go home, talk about this gal who I heard about today. Right. So when we started talking, you said, you know, I'm a dad, I'm a parent. I can imagine what parents are feeling. And, you know, I want to encourage parents in the room, you know, we're not supposed to live in fear. We're not supposed to parent with fear. Um, but what we, what we do need to do as a result of this is maybe go home and, and do what the crossing has done today and starting that conversation. And, and maybe that looks like you go home and talk to your kids and say, hey, I'm, I met a lady at church today and, and here's what, what she's dealing with. Let's, let's have a conversation about that. And to anybody else, what I would say is, look, you know, Pastor Shane mentioned it earlier, in this life we're going to have trouble. So what I would encourage you to do is let go of the expectation that life's going to be easy because it's just not and so once we let that go, we know, you know, we're never, ever alone. We can, can, we can trick ourselves into thinking that we're alone and there's no hope. Um, but that, again, that's not the truth. The truth is God says he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. You know, and even his son had a moment that was so big that he said, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? And it's just not true, right? I hate what happened to you, but I love what you're how you're transforming that moment and redeeming it. Holly's going to be in the lobby, and she's got a table out there. And she, she told me, she said, I'm not a counselor. I'm just someone who's oh. experienced something. But she would love to, to talk to you. And, and we have some counselors. We have our prayer room where we can direct you to some resources. If you're wrestling with that today or you've been experiencing that close to you and you need to process that, I know Holly would love to talk to you. But as we close this moment, I just want to pray. I want to pray for Holly as an individual because she's, this, is, this is every day you're still experiencing it, and for the amazing project that God's leading her to use. So if you would just pray with me, um, I'd appreciate it so much. Father, thank you for Holly's story that she's willing to tell. And God, we just, uh, we mourn with her, but we rejoice with her in her newfound commitment to not allowing this to happen to anyone else if she can get in front of it. God, I pray that we would be sensitive to it. I pray for those in the room that may be feeling alone 
That God, in this time, they could know that ultimately you are with them. You will never leave them, never forsake them, God. We just pray that 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 message would cut through into our hearts. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen.